Blog Talk Radio. Episode of Let's Go Kevin and Karen, a special episode today. Hi, Karen. Hello, Kevin. Uh, we actually decided to do a bonus episode. We're going to call it Je suis Charlie in light of the events that will happen at the uh, in uh, Paris. And uh, in us, uh, in our studio today, I should say, uh, we actually have our old friends, uh, the group Natural Selection. Guys, welcome back. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. <laughs> oh, excellent. You does talk. You does talk. <laughs> and also on the line with us, uh, we have uh, one of our uh, guests today is uh, Jim. Jim, you, can you still hear us? Yes, I do. Hi. Perfect. Um, uh Ahmed is supposed to join us in about. Um, yeah, Ahmed is supposed to join us in about five minutes. We wanted to do a uh, show today uh, to have uh, the Muslim point of view and an ex-Muslim's point of view on what happened at the Charlie Hebdo uh, killing. But before we go into all this, uh, I guess what I'm going to do, I'm going to go explain to the audience what happened chronologically. So uh, we all heard what happened. So uh, let, let me give you a bit of a timeline here. This is in Paris, in France. Yes. And- Wednesday, January the 7th at 11.30 a.m. local time in Paris, uh, two, me- two men by the name of Sharif Kouachi and Saeed Kouachi, two brothers, stormed the office of uh, Charlie Hebdo, which is a uh, small daily... Uh, no, it's not even a daily. It's a, it's a weekly paper, I believe, uh, that uh, has a tendency to be left-leaning and uh, there's a lot of satire. They killed the editor and some cartoonists. It took them less than five minutes. After that, they drive north and exchange gunfire with a police vehicle. Uh, during the exchange, Officer Ahmed Marabat is wounded and he's then, exe- then executed. Uh, Twelve dead. Um Continuing during the day, at midday, uh, the gunmen crashed their car and hijacked a gray Clio. I'm not sure about that brand of car, but it's, a, it's called a Clio. They tell the driver, if the media ask you anything, tell them it's Al-Qaeda in Yemen. And then Paris goes on high alert. By 6 p.m., people gather on the Place de la République for, uh, for a vigil. The next day, Thursday, January 8th at 8 a.m., another police officer, 25-year-old Clarissa Jean-Philippe, is shot dead by an associate of the Kwachi brothers, the brothers themselves. By 10.30 a.m., reports sees the brothers driving north uh, toward, uh, through Picardy, or Picardy. Uh, they rob a gas station in uh, the northeast of Paris, and uh, there's a manhunt in the nearby wooded area. By Friday, January the 9th, at 8.10 a.m., the gunmen hijack a gray Peugeot 206 in the village of Montmagny, Saint-Félicité, because the Clio ran out of gas. By 9 a.m., there's a shootout between the suspects and the police on uh, N2 Moraway. The brothers then take refuge in a printing shop in the village of Saint-Démartin... Sorry, saint which is 40 kilometers northeast of Paris. By 11.30 a.m., reports that the suspects have a hostage and the airport is partially closed. 
By 1.30 p.m., there's another report that comes in that another man has taken a hostage at a Jewish grocery store in Paris. By 2.30 p.m., the police named the two other people, which is Amadi Koulibaly. He's a hostage taker, and he has a long criminal history, and Hayat Boumidian, and he's a, she's a female accomplice. By 5 p.m., the police make their move and kill the brothers. By 5.15 p.m., the police make their move as well in the Jewish grocery store. Uh, the hostages are let out. By 7 p.m., François Hollande, the president of France, confirms that four hostages were killed in that Jewish grocery store. And today, at about two hours ago, 2.5 million French citizens march in the largest demonstration in the history of France. So, upon all this, I guess I brought all of you guys here today, and we'll have Ackman as soon as he can, uh, to basically, what are your thoughts on this? So I guess I'll start with you, Jim. Jim, um, can you give me me a brief uh, Reader's Digest of, uh, without putting too much details, I guess, of uh, who you are? You're you're no longer a practicing Muslim, you're an ex-Muslim, is that right? Yes. I'm not sure if I can uh, call myself an ex-Muslim, because uh, a Muslim is supposed to basically profess uh, his faith uh, when he hits puberty. I'm not sure if I ever did, so I would probably would have been a agnostic slash atheist from the beginning. But I pretty much uh, was born and raised in an Islamic country, and I had uh, theology all the way from second grade elementary school all the way to grade 12 and well into university. Uh, So I had to study a bunch of these things uh, from these school curriculums and, uh, and, and like that. I'm kind of fascinated by that, Jim. Um, so explain to me. I mean, as you, which which country did you? Would you? Uh, can you tell us which country you you came from originally? Yes, I was born in Iran, uh, Islamic Republic of Iran, after the Islamic Revolution. And, okay. Uh, yeah. So, so I how? Came how to Canada when I was nineteen. So. Okay. So, so how is it that growing up in Iran? You say you your theology is kind of uh, imposed on you, I guess, as a child. Uh, so so what is, what is that like? Well, uh, first grade you learn how about, uh, you read, to read and write. Second grade uh, they add three or four uh, school to- uh, new books, and one of them is basically theology, and that's going and that goes all the way to grade twelve. So it's basically eleven years out of twelve years of uh, uh, education, elementary school education. Quran itself is added as a separate topic from grade three all the way to grade twelve. And there's mandatory school prayer each and every single morning when you're going to school before entering the school. And uh, it's actually, on a side note, that I always have this discussion with my atheist friends that I am actually a very uh, strong advocate of mandatory school prayer because nothing makes a person a better atheist than having to stand in a line seven in the morning and have to say prayer before going to school. (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of a reaction to that that uh, <laughs> most people find repulsive, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I had to basically study Arabic as part of the school curriculum as well, starting grade 12, uh, seven. 
six, I'm sorry, six. And uh, so I am kind of, I have to study Arabic, and I know a little bit of Arabic as well. Okay. Wow. All right, well, so so you, you, you had what I, I'd say a, a typical uprising in Iran. Yes. Okay. So so I guess I guess we should start, you know, let's go, Let's. I want to make this kind of like a loose end roundtable discussion, so everybody that want to jump in, feel free to jump in. Um, I might start with you, Jim. Jim, what are your thoughts on uh, the event that happened in Paris there? Uh, my first reaction was that I was surprised that so many people were surprised. Uh, that was where it was not in any uh, way, shape, or format something bizarre, something unexpected, something that wasn't uh, in any way strange. This is something that has this kind of events that happened. Uh, all of them have many, many precedents. Uh, in recent years, in recent decades, and even going back uh, to uh, medieval times. Uh, on the list that was, there was a list that published by, I believe Al-Qaeda, I'm not sure, I read it on the news, that uh, of the list of uh, the most wanted people that they wanted to kill, and the editor of this magazine, Charlie Hebdo, was on that list. Another person was on that list was Mr. Salman Rushdie that I believe everyone uh, who's listening probably knows it, uh, Mr. Rushdie. I was mm-hmm. not even a teenager when there was a fatwa issued against uh, Mr. Rushdie for writing his book, his novel, uh, Satanic Verses. And uh, it was something on the news. Uh, the title of the book itself was some kind of like uh, provocative, and uh, there were massive demonstrations. Uh, and I'm t- these I'm just telling you things that I saw when I was nine, ten years old. And uh, <clears throat> there was a death sentence to, on this guy, uh, and I had no idea what the, who this guy was. I, there was no way anyone inside Iran could have access to uh, the books that was written, and. I did not read uh, the Satanic Verses until I came to Canada. It was the first book that I went to the library and just borrowed it the first week that I arrived to just see what this book was. And uh, Mr. Rushdie was living on this kind of threat for decades. For at at least five or six years, he was uh, uh, only best friend knew where he was. And uh, it is not something that should have come as a surprise that another person on that list was now the target of this kind of assassinations. Uh, we had the Danish cartoons, which were basically the same thing that Charlie Hebdo uh, republished. And that person, I believe, was assassinated uh, in a stabbing uh, five, six years ago. I'm not sure about the exact date of it. But this is going, uh, like the first example, I'm just keeping my... Uh, comments to Iran, I can think of uh, the first one of a clergyman issuing a fatwa against the person who does, who is in literature, in, in, what, in any format you want to uh, say. In this case, was a satirist uh, and a satire, a satire magazine that were the targets. Salman Rushdie was a novelist. Uh, I can give you the na- another name that's actually interesting if you guys want to look it up. Ahmad Kasravi, Kasravi, uh, last name K-A-S-R-A-V-I. This gentleman was a historian, and he wrote uh, about 20, 30 books of history, and uh, he was also a lawyer, 
and he was there was a fatwa issued against him for insulting the prophet and he was assassinated in courtroom uh in 1945 in Iraq and wow. uh he was, yes uh so this is uh, another example i can give you um uh, Mr. Saidi Sirjani, last name uh, Sirjani, S-I-R-J-A-N-I. And this guy was also a guy who was a uh, literary critic and a novelist. He had many, many interesting books. None of them, um, I would say, that wouldn't, would even come close to the level of uh, the caricatures of Charlie Hebdo to insult the prophet, but it was barely, merely criticizing uh, some um, rather patent uh, in a, uh, absurdities of Islam. And uh, they, he was arrested, and uh, there was, a, again, a fatwa issued against him, and he was killed in prison. And uh, this happened in uh, 1998. Hmm. So, the, uh, so it, I can give you uh, just these are examples of just Iran and just uh, stuff that have in the past fifty years. If you talk to an Egyptian, if you talk to an Algerian, there's a long list of these kind of uh, people who have works of literature, who are, uh, poets, novelists, uh, writers, uh, with uh, death sentences on their heads for insulting the Prophet, insulting Islam, insulting God. Uh, this is actually a some is a, considered a crime against a state in many Islamic countries. In Iran, for example, in Pakistan, in Saudi Arabia, if somebody says something that is considered insult to God, it carries death penalty. Uh, so that's why when I'm saying that when this happened, that there was so much surprise that this could happen. Uh, well, it's not in any way, shape, or form surprising at all to me. Hmm. I guess I guess from from a, a Caucasian point of view, I guess we were surprised it would have happened. I don't think something like that would have been surprising to to happen in uh, Saudi Arabia. I think well, I don't know what you guys think, but the fact that it happened in Paris is probably what is uh, very shocking. You guys want to speak to that? Anybody want to say something? About that? Yeah, I agree with that. I guess the people don't expect it to come right to their doorstep. Yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, and. If, I, if I'm correct at this point, uh, France is one of the lar- largest uh, population of uh, uh, immigrant Muslims uh, at this point, so uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. Now, what you guys might not know at this point is today um, there was a daily German paper that was firebombed. Uh, they reprinted those Charlie Hebdo cartoons, and they were firebombed. This is in Hamburg today. Today. Yeah, uh, although they, if nobody was killed, nobody was in the building, and the damage was relatively minimal. Um, but uh, the U.S. intelligence agencies came after that, and they said they basically had t- uh, t- they tapped some conversations with some of the uh, Islamic State's um, senior members, and they say that the, the Paris attacks were actually the start of a series of attacks in Europe. So uh, you have the, the Paris attacks, and now you have Germany today. Um, do you guys think we can possibly see something that's on the rise, a rise of a trend? It seems like the repercussions or retaliations or some, you know, it, things have started there. It seems like there's kind of a bit of a ripple effect going on. Mm-hmm. 
What about you, Jim? Have you uh, heard any? I'm, I'm assuming you're an ex-Muslim, but I'm assuming you're still hanging with uh, many of uh, some uh, Muslim. Uh, I'm assuming you're not the only one in your family that's. Uh, uh, how can I voice this? Um, there's probably still plenty of members of your family that are, are still uh, in the Islamic faith. Uh, actually, no, they're not, and uh, I am not very uh, uh, in touch with uh, in, in Islamic community at all. So I don't know if there is that kind of reaction. Uh, is it if it's some sort of a planned thing or not? But again, if it is, I won't be surprised. And the fact that um, it takes it it only takes one lunatic to believe in these kind of things to believe that by uh, killing uh, or uh, somebody who has in, uh, who's a heretic or is a uh, apostate or somebody who is basically uh, insulting the prophet, uh, he would be going to heaven. It just takes one person to believe in that, and so then, and that's all it takes. These targets that you listed, they're all very soft targets. They are not military establishments. They are not in any way. Protected, so it's not surprising if they uh, these kind of uh, lone terrorist type people, uh, persons go after these kind of targets. And what do you think of the response by uh, Paris? The huge demonstrations and people are outraged. Do you think that's going to prevent any attacks? I mean, I can't, I can't actually imagine that it would. But what, what are your thoughts on that? I think that the demonstration was. Uh, uh, kind of a continuance of the message that the French president gave, that he was saying that he was uh, we can only fight this thing with unity. So it, in the face of this kind of a threat, it's a foreign threat, and uh, that uh, French people and obviously uh, the Western uh, democracies uh, can uh, respond to it with unity. Uh, that being said, it doesn't prevent it. It doesn't. Uh, it's just something that we have to. Uh, I hate to say it, but get used to it. That uh, this uh, this can happen uh, in our societies as uh, as an earthquake or a volcano eruption or a flood or whatever. Uh, so the threat of terrorist attacks of this kind. Uh, against our societies is just something that we have to deal with. And instead of being terrified of it, just deal with it and uh, try to uh, draw it at its source, which is uh, the Islamic countries, obviously. And uh, Ahmed just joined us online. Ahmed, are you still with us? Yes. Perfect. Uh, Ahmed, meet Jim. Jim, Ahmed. Ahmed is uh, actually a friend of mine, and he's been on our show before. So welcome back, Ahmed. Thanks. And uh, hi, Jim. Hello. I was uh, I was uh, Jim. I went through the uh, Jim is a, an ex-Muslim and he uh, he he comes from uh, uh, Iran. And uh, can you give us a, a quick quick uh, who uh, you are, Ahmed, and where you come from? Um, I come from Egypt, as you already know, and um, uh, I. I don't know. I I'd like to. I don't know how to describe my religious views. I'd like to call myself a kind of a reformer Muslim, if if there is such a thing. Uh, I try to look at things differently, and uh, um, I don't know. We'll, uh, you'll you'll ask me questions, and I think that's going to reveal more of my opinions. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I we're 
we're pleased to have both of you gentlemen on because uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for both of you. I know both of you, and I, I think you're both very intelligent, so this is going to be a great conversation. Um, but, Ahmed, let me ask you. Um, we asked Jim already uh, how he thought, uh, what he thought about the, the uh, events that happened in Paris. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I think a lot of things uh kind of a broad question. Um, of course, I'll have to start by revealing my 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 rejection of all sort of uh, terror acts like this, and uh, um, I think I'm, I'm saying what's been said a lot, uh, many times before. But I do believe that these do not represent uh, the majority of the Muslims that are, uh, worldwide. Yeah, I think I think we'll all agree on that. Uh, I think the vast majority of people would not walk into a store or a front and start shooting people. No. Um, uh, you, I, I kind of want to concentrate a bit on the the whole thing of um, not depicting Mohammed or something like that. Um, now, I'm assuming both you gentlemen are relatively familiar with the Quran, right? Yes, I would I would think I am a little bit. Yeah. Is it, is it, is there yeah, is there really a section in the Quran that says you are not to do this? That you're not supposed to do any uh, pictures of? Uh, according to our last conversation, Ahmed, I think we you, we established that there were some depiction of Muhammad a long time ago. Yeah, there there is uh, there is nothing in the Quran itself that says that you're not supposed to draw Muhammad. And uh, actually, this incident didn't happen because they drew Muhammad. A lot of people drew Muhammad and they didn't get killed. Uh, the, the main objection here was the, uh, uh, the, the ins- that they felt that they were insulted, that the, these cartoons were insulting or offending. Uh, so it's not just the drawing, it's uh, just the idea of being uh, of having a drawing of Muhammad. That's, uh, I, I think even in the extremist eyes, that wouldn't uh, require to be uh, assassinated for it. Jim, do you concur with that? Uh, just uh, back in seventh century, when uh, in Mecca, the Kaaba was full of the idols that the different Arabic tribes worshipped. Uh, some of these idols were statues. Some of them were paintings. And as a result, there were. It's not in Quran that uh, pic- uh, drawing pictures of. Uh, uh, Muhammad is forbidden, but drawing pictures in general, and not in Quran itself, uh, but as part of the rulings of the time, that painting, making uh, making statues, and these things that were in furtherance of uh, idol worshipping was forbidden. Uh, So as a result, any statue, (laughs) anything in form of statue, anything that was a painting, anything that was like that, was uh, destroyed uh, at that time. And the continuation of that was uh, that they kind of expanded and made, made uh, even the art of uh, sculpture or the art of painting as kind of like these forbidden arts. But and what we're talking about uh, is some 100, 200 years, and then this was pretty much just ended. There were, plenty, there were at least uh, two drawings or uh, of contemporary drawings of Muhammad from the time that I uh, that I saw I don't know if they were genuine or not but at the time that uh, that these were being shown to us they were actually like this is Muhammad as when he was 17 and he was drawn by a Christian monk 
excuse me, I have a cold and I have to deal with that as well. And uh, but you can see, like for example, when Taliban uh, took um, the city of Bamiyan in Afghanistan in 2000, they destroyed the statues of the Buddha, and these were again uh, an execution of that old order. That these are basically idols. These are worshiping uh, objects uh, except God, beside God, and therefore they have to be destroyed. The, the drawing itself is forbidden. But now, drawing Muhammad in particular is kind of an added uh, sin, an added crime. Uh, it's the act of insulting the prophet that is considered uh, a sin, uh, a uh, crime against the state, as I said. So were they looking upon having or doing a, the actual act of drawing this prophet, was it looked upon as uh, worship? Uh, and that's what was um, forbidden. forbidden or, yeah, in the eyes of, um, say, for instance, people who were devout, devoutly worshipping the prophet and somebody else who drew or made a statue or something else to worship as um, being led astray by (laughs) something else other than... Oh, I think what they're trying to say, I think what uh, Ahmed and and Jim are trying to say here Hmm. is that you you were allowed to do a nice drawing or painting of Mohammed. It's just if you had him doing something that didn't Make him seem less than holy. Right. Then, then that was the that was the problem. Mm. Yeah. And the two drawings that I saw, none of them were actually drawn by Muslims. They were, <laughs> as I said, mentioned drawn by Christians. Uh, when Muhammad was not a prophet, and uh, this was uh, a guy in Damascus who did it uh, when Muhammad was a traitor and was going through the city of Damascus. But again, this is just. The type of thing that if you put the kind of put it on the microscope, it would probably just be another fake or something like that. Interesting. <laughs> Goodness. Okay, okay. Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Ahmed, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, yes, actually, I um, until today there are there are still different views about about the whole drawing and sculpture thing. I I agree with the, the historical uh, facts that uh, Jim mentioned. Uh, and there are, as I told you before, there is a big difference between what the Quran says and what the Hadith says. If if you look at the Quran, you will not see anything that forbids anybody from drawing anything or making a sculpture, uh, unless of course you're going to worship it. That's that's of course forbidden. But uh, when you look at the Hadith, then you will find several Hadith that uh, forbids people from uh, drawing live things like drawing bull or, or or animals or birds and making sculpture of them. And some of and, and when you look at the different views of the Islamic scholars over the time, you'll find that there were different there were different views of or different schools of looking at that. Some of them concurred the, uh, that these hadith are right and we should not draw anything, and some did not agree, so considered these hadith to be uh, fake or not true or uh, not historically proven enough. And we had lots of scholars who who did practice. Some of them actually practiced on like Ibn Hazm and Ibn Rushd. 
Um, till today, we have uh, uh, the, the groups like the Salafi, uh, the Salafi, uh, the Salafis in Egypt. I, I attended myself a, uh, a full um, a full evening in the mosque uh, held by one of the uh, biggest uh, figures in the Salafi, uh, uh, the Salafi group in Alexandria. His name is Muhammad. Ismail al-Muqaddim, and the whole uh, evening was about that we have to destroy all the old Egyptian uh, temples and monuments and the Sphinx and all these, uh, they have to be destroyed. So until today, we still have people who look at, um, who who embrace these uh, these visions, and some others, they don't. But again, as uh, when it comes to the to the Charlie Abdo uh, uh, incident, it's not because of uh, of the drawing; it's because of the insulting. It's uh, it, it, that was the trigger of the crime. Wow. Okay. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Um, so, in, uh, I guess I'll ask the controversial question here: um, Do you do you guys think that these guys went too far when they did their uh, their, their drawings? Uh, do you personally feel you know they? It was too. It was going too far, or you no? Know, they these people had the right to do so. Well, I I, I believe you should not call, you should not reply to uh, to to words by by weapons by by bullets. Uh, it's, it's it's regardless of uh, whether this was an Islamic group or whether these were Islamic uh, cartoons about Muhammad or anybody else. I do not concur the the fact that you um, that you reply to words by by bullets. That's for me. That's strictly that's strictly wrong. What about you, Jim? No, I don't. I am actually uh, in this. Uh, I concur with what Christopher <coughs> Christopher Hitchens said that we have actually a responsibility to uh, mock religion when we can, because a lot of uh, uh, absurdities come out if when you actually point them out like this, uh, like the way Charlie Hebdo has done. No, I don't believe Charlie Hebdo has gone too far and. <laughs> And uh, and that's just that. Oh, and one more thing before I forget, uh, in furtherance of the previous discussion. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, when the Islamic Republic came to power in 1979-1980, they actually went and uh, uh, destroyed a bunch of the ancient ruins of Persia, uh, like Persepolis and stuff. And uh, it was uh, some of uh, a few years ago. I heard that they had actually in the in the center of Persepolis they had built a mosque. <coughs> and uh, so, in the, the problem is that then people like the gentleman that uh, the fellow that uh, Ahmed just mentioned in Alexandria, when they become to, they come to power. And they actually get to do the things that they preach, and then that's that's when the real danger is uh, upon us. When like the pyramids and the Sphinx and uh, the ruins of Persepolis and all of that are at the mercy of these kind of people. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah actually, I think to, to concur that, Jim, uh, ISIS already did some of this in Iraq. They have already destroyed some of the historical monuments uh, uh, in Iraq, and even they, they they even destroyed a historical mosque. They blew the whole thing uh, with bombs because there was a there was a tomb in it. And they believe that you should not pray in a mosque uh, where there where there is a tomb in it. So they 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 already did part of that, unfortunately. And some of the uh, 
one monument of this lion man in 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 I think it was in um, in Basra, and they've already destroyed it, unfortunately. Like a, a cultural sacral that should do something like that. I mean, I, I can't even fathom. Can you imagine coming today and waking up tomorrow morning realizing the great pyramids of Egypt are gone uh, because of a Muslim edict that they're not supposed to have some kind of idol? I mean, this. Even if I'm yeah. not Egyptian, even here in North America, it'd be like saying, okay, we're just going to tear down uh, sacred tombs. Military treasure, it doesn't belong only to Egyptians. It belongs to the whole world, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It belongs to the entire world. So, um, so given that there's, um, you know, not consensus among Muslims about what should stay and what should be destroyed and how you can depict Muhammad and how do we, you mentioned this earlier, Jim, you alerted to, how do we stop this? Like, Obviously, everyone is condemning this. There's very few people who think this is the right thing to do. So what is the solution? How do we, you know, move forward as a society well, and get beyond <clears throat> Short solution is to kill them. That's uh, easy <laughs> and straightforward. The long solution is a cultural war. And in my view, the Western culture is very strong. Uh, secular democracy of the West is very strong, and uh, in that kind of a cultural warfare, uh, I think that the West will triumph. And by West, I don't mean <clears throat> the commercial Christianity of the uh, that we see here. I'm talking about the secular Western <coughs> principles of liberalism and democratic values. Uh, like freedom of speech and freedom of press, etc. Uh, but at the same time, next time that, for example, uh, you're hearing about a drone bombing uh, uh, some uh, tribal village in Pakistan, instead of like rushing to condemn it as some sort of a imperialist action, <laughs> realize uh, that they're targeting people that. If they're not dead there, they'll be here attacking us. That's kind of a reality of the, this thing. And the people who were attacking, who did the attacks in France were basically Algerians who uh, immigrated to France, but instead of assimilating into the French society, accepting the uh, French uh, values uh, that the French Republic has stood for for over 200 years, they are basically trying to change the society of France to accept their... 7th century values, and that's just not acceptable. Um, that's my, in my view, that's my solution, but I'm probably a bit too far. I don't know. I'm waiting to hear you guys talk about it. What, about you, what do you think? What would be a good solution, you figure? Um, so you're talking to me now, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, starting by what Jim said, uh, the, 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 the even solution to kill them all will I don't think that's really um, a working solution because no matter how how much you kill, uh, more will come out. It's it's about an ideology that is there. Uh, there are a lot of I would say that there are a lot of potential terrorists uh, all over the world, uh, and um, uh, it, it's, I agree that of course uh, killing killing the, the 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 major part of them is. is it's part of the solution, but you can't kill them all because they, it's an ideology that keeps uh, reproducing, that keeps spreading, and uh, to face ideology, you have to take different measures than that. Uh, one of the measures would be uh, to also to try to eliminate the source of funding that they use to spread and to, uh, uh, 
to and to gain uh, to convey more people to to come in and I don't think the Western world is really taking this thing in, uh, seriously because uh, when we look at uh, one of the main sources of funding these people is uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, and it looks to me that uh, Saudi Arabia is a friend of uh, the Americans and a friend of the Europeans and they don't really there is no serious uh, attempts to uh, to dry the, uh, the 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 channels of funding that comes from Saudi Arabia to all these groups worldwide. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a lot of politics that comes into this that that makes <laughs> that makes this thing hard. And, and also we 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 have I have to say this that it's not uh, I, I don't believe this is a battle between uh, pure evil and pure and pure good. Uh, I also I am against. The, uh, the Western governments as well. I'm against the American government. I'm against most of the European governments. And I do believe that they also do a lot of crimes and they also do a lot of wrong things that provoke these people to do what they do. It, it provokes uh, hatred, provokes uh, the, the, the want uh, to revenge. Uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, war crimes that the Americans did in the Iraq and in Afghanistan that uh, fueled up a lot of this anger. Uh, so you agree with Ahmed here, I think. I think. Oh, 100. percent um, If I if I could give my opinion here on a, on a fix for this problem, um, I I think what we have here, I'm going to be a very skeptical here and say that we this isn't going to be fixed in our lifetime. It's it's called evolution. Um, we have to evolve to a higher state than what we are in the world right now. And uh, I, I think it's a hopeless situation in our in our lifetime. I'm sorry to say that. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry that I have to agree on this as well. Yeah, I don't think this can be fixed in the, in the short run. And and it's true that the whole world, the whole world has to evolve uh, from what it is now. Every, like uh, everybody, all the governments are doing um, are part of this, are cause of this, to to a degree, to a certain degree. Okay, well, speaking of evolution, and this is why they call me the King of Sideways, guys, um, we have seen an evolution in the response to the, to these attacks. Of course, they've, they've been condemned to by all normal, uh, I shouldn't say normal, but typical governments, you know, whether it's Paris or, or London and all that. But we've also seen um, Iran come out and, uh, and condemn those. Hamas came out and condemned those. I mean, we're actually seeing a response much more vocal this time to these attacks, and by Muslims. Uh, so uh, I have a tendency to think that we might have turned a corner here, and, the, and, and this might have become a historical event where actually the typical Muslim will actually say, no, this is, part of my French, bullshit. What do you guys think? Yeah. Well, let me qualify the, the, the condemnation from Iran, the condemnation that the government of Iran should came from <coughs> Iranian president, Hassan Rouhani. It wasn't from the supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. So that's basically the person who has a ceremonial job <laughs> issued the condemnation. That's very different. But the only one that was actually interesting was the condemnation uh, issued by Hezbollah, the leader of Hezbollah, uh, because that guy, until six years ago, was actively trying to kill Salman Rushdie and the Danish cartoonist. And uh, the fact that he came about 
shows an evolution, but not in political leaders, in their constituents. <coughs> is, there is a new generation in Iran. There is a new generation in Lebanon. There is a, there is a younger people who have access to the Internet for the past 10 years, 10 plus years, and they are uh, so that kind of a, a, a mentality that existed in uh, in the 1970s, 1980s, my parents' generation, basically, uh, that doesn't exist anymore, and that still exists in some countries, but uh, those number of con- that those countries are getting fewer and fewer, so that's not surprising again. Um, <clears throat> I am hoping that something uh, productive uh, will come uh, out at the end of this uh, tragedy, uh, but I'm just hoping. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ahmed? What do you think? You think you think that in your brethren's? I mean, I'm assuming uh, Jim said that he doesn't hang with a lot of his yeah. but you probably have a, your whole family and all that. How how do they react to this? Well, I mean, I'm I. Pretty, I I do believe that the, uh, the uh, Muslim nation has a lot of homework to do. Uh, condemning this on a, on a big level is, is uh, maybe a very baby step, uh, but if that doesn't lead to a, a wider uh, review of our in, uh, what we have inherited, uh, what, we have, uh, what we consider as uh, sacred uh, scripts and not, uh, if, if, this, if this doesn't lead to this kind of review, a big uh, review to our inheritance, then then this is going nowhere. Because when we when we see at, when we take a look at what these, what these people did in in Paris and uh, how did they justify that to themselves, they didn't just uh, come up with it. This is they are taking it from our history. There are things in our Islamic uh, beliefs that would uh, concur to such. Actions, uh, as I as I was talking to you before, that uh, when you talk, when you look at the when you look at the Quran, for example, the, you, you will you will see a very different situation from when you look at some hadith. Like I would like to, for example, state can I can I like state uh, one or two um, verses from the Quran and compare them sure. to hadith, if you don't mind. Uh, you'll have to translate yeah. in English though, because we don't speak Arabic. No, no, it's in English. <laughs> So, it, uh, like, for example, like what what does the Quran tell tell us to do? For example, when when somebody is mocking our religion or insulting our religion, there is a verse in uh, Surah Al-Nisa that says, "I'll say it, I'll, I'll translate it in English," and uh, it uh, it says that uh, okay, and indeed he has revealed to you in the book that when you hear Allah's communication or Allah's verses being uh, denied and mocked at then sit not with them until they engage in a talk other than that. Certainly, in that case, you would be like them, and it goes, and it goes on and goes on. So it, it basically tells you when you hear somebody mock, if, if you're sitting with a group of people and they are mocking your religion or insulting your religion, don't sit with them until they they engage in some other discussion. So it doesn't even tell you, like, don't even talk to them again. Just disengage from this conversation until they start another conversation. And then you can join so this is a this is quite uh, uh, I would say I would say this is quite a liberal view, but when you see to when you look at the hadith, you will see a different uh, <laughs> you will find a different story there. You will find that there is a story about the about the prophet when uh, he uh, there was a there was a female poet who used to uh, um, uh, insult him through poetry, 
and uh, he asked from one of his followers to go and kill her. So he went there, to, he he, he uh, skipped to her house at the middle of the night, and she was already breastfeeding her uh, her child, and he put the child away, and he stabbed him in the chest, and he came back. So this is one story. Uh, now, some scholars, they say that this story is not true, and I would uh, I would like to believe that. Uh, some others say no, it is true, and they go uh, and they go for and they and they do the same and they just did the same in Paris. There is another story of another guy who was also insulting Muhammad and saying bad things about him, and he also asked one of his guys to go and and kill him, and and they did. He was a friend of his before he converted to Islam, so he went to his house and he said, okay, come on, come down, let's chat for a minute, and he took him for a walk, and then he killed him. So again, some say that the story is not true, some say it is, but. What I'm saying is that when you look at the when when I'm as a Muslim when I look at the Quran I I I see something and then when I look into the hadiths I see it telling me to do something else. Uh, some of the hadiths, not all of them, because some others they they tell me the things of the Quran as well. So we need we need to have a big review, a big filtration, a, a, an overview of what we inherited in these books and see what's what's compatible with our current times and what is not. Yeah, essentially, essentially what you guys without homework, this ideology will still exist and it will keep reproducing. So you're essentially, you're saying that what Muslims need or Islam needs is a reformation, a bit what what the Christians went through after they came out of the Dark Ages. Essentially, you know, saying okay, we need to take this nowhere near as seriously as we did back then. Definitely, we do need a big reformation. And I, I, I think that without this reformation, uh, the current version of Islam cannot uh, uh, cannot coexist for a long time with the rest of the uh, with the rest of the human beings. It's it's either it's a, it's a it's a one way. It's you either do the reformation or you extinct. In my opinion. Yeah, it, yeah. It seems to me that what I see uh, when you look at the headlines in the, in the world, you see. Um, imams, very conservative imams, uh, for example, uh, trying to pass laws, uh, they seem to find atheism a threat. Uh, now there are some countries where it's illegal to be an atheist or proclaim anything like that uh, on the penalty of death in some countries. Uh, do, you, do you think that you know it's, it's, it's going to become along political lines in a way? The more progressive leftist uh, Muslim is going to go for reformation, and the more conservative one is going to try to stick to the hard line? Yes. Yes, but what we would like to see is that um, so far there is no uh, uh, serious tries of reformation like by, by people who are um, truly academic or deeply academic uh, in the Islamic uh, studies. Uh, we've seen uh, some shy efforts. We've seen some of the guy like we had in Egypt actually a couple of them who, uh, who got killed. Uh, there was a, a very, very uh, respectful uh, man. He, his name was Farag Fuda. He was a secular Muslim, and he uh, he wrote several amazing books, uh, trying to call for the reformation, trying to review these uh, these statements. Uh, he got killed by a terrorist group in the in the 90s. And there is another guy whose name is uh, Nasr Hamid Abu Zaid, and uh, he was uh, actually uh, the the Egyptian. Um, uh, an Egyptian judge uh, sentenced him by blasphemy, and he was uh, kicked out of Egypt. Otherwise, he would have been killed as well. What about you, well, I Jim? Was to, I was going yeah. to respond to that, that the Islam needs a reformation, but I think uh, Ahmed responded to it himself. Uh, anytime <laughs> there has been a reform, attempt to reformation, the reform is coming along, they've been killed. 
and <clears throat> it's part of a pattern. It's not it's not in any way, in shape or form, as something new. Uh, as for Koran uh, uh, versus Hadith, uh, that's an old fight that has been going on for thousands of years, uh, hundreds of years, and that hasn't changed at all. Uh, but regarding Koran itself, it came down over 23 years. And the, the first 10 years of Muhammad's life was in the city of Mecca when he was a very, a very much persecuted minority. The yeah. next 13 years, he was in Medina when he had a government, and he was the leader of a government. The verses and surahs that come in Mecca are extremely different with verses and, uh, that come in uh, Medina. So yeah. when he says something very liberal, like if you see somebody, <clears throat> uh, like the verse that Ahmed mentioned, or something like, like uh, my religion is mine, and you can have your own religion, your own faith. Uh, these are all uh, verses and surahs that came when he was in Mecca, and he was mm-hmm. a minority. It's an extremely just... different ballpark when mm-hmm. he's in minority. Good luck with tolerance. Good luck with having any sort of uh, toleration of other faiths. And uh, just look at the, uh, you were either, you had to be a Muslim or you, were, you would have been killed in the final years of Muhammad's life. Uh, it's not. It's kind of a historical pattern that you see in, <laughs> in when whenever you have a Muslim minority in a community, it's part of that Islam religion of peace and religion of uh, uh, love. And uh, but it, but you have to look at it when whenever the, that minority is the majority and it's it, the opposite, exact opposite. There is no tolerance whatsoever for. Uh, the smaller faiths, the smaller communities. And I was surprised when you said that uh, in some countries atheism uh, is allowed. I just want to know in one Islamic country that being an atheist is allowed. Uh, it's uh, well, who, being an atheist is the exact, uh, is being a Catholic. Uh, it's considered najis. You're extremely dirty. Like even the uh, I this is part of the education that I had to go through in some grade nine, I think. We had to learn something called the grading of fate or the ladder of fate. No, no, just, 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 let me, let me, so let me, think of a, I don't know, a thermometer, mm-hmm. for example. At point zero, you have a Muslim. And then right beneath that, you have Christians and Jews as kind of like the uh, monotheists who are uh, all parts of the religion of Abraham. One level below that, you have the other monotheists who are not uh, Christian Jews, like Zoroastrians and others. Then you have polytheists, people who have more than one god, but uh, like, for example, Hindus that are considered people with three gods or four gods or whatever. And then at the bottom of, uh, and then you have the atheists and people who believe in no god. And then at the bo- uh, even below that you have the heretics, ex-Muslims. Uh, and <clears throat> by the time you get to atheists and heretics, these are, these are people who are considered extremely dirty. Uh, heretics, example of that would be people of Baha'i faith. Uh, so, uh, in case of Baha'is, for example, during 19th century and 20th century, early 20th century in Iran. Uh, mobs would attack their houses, drag them out of their houses, and burn them alive in mosques. Uh, this didn't require, and the government of Iran at the time was uh, 
as trying as best as it could in most instances trying to save these people but good uh, Islamic country that is tolerant of um, atheists well, that's something I've I never to, heard of yeah I gotta correct you Jim I, I did not say allowed I said outlawed I said outlawed no they're okay. not allowed. Okay, 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 okay. I, I misunderstood you there but you gave us quite a good perspective of what it's like to be a non-believer in, in some of these uh, Muslim countries. Um, so, um, looking at the future, gentlemen, uh, looking at the response that uh, we saw from uh, Muslims and non-Muslims, um, you guys have a positive vibe of what's going to happen? You think the uh, you think this kind of stuff is going to go down, or you think we still have a long, dark way to go? You're asking me. <laughs> Yeah, well, either one of you. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I kind of, uh, I think that uh, despite all the things that you I have said so far, and Ahmed has said so far, and you've seen on the news, Islam is a very powerful religion. Uh, it can, uh, it has a lot of um, <clears throat> nonsense in it, and it has a lot of absurdities in it, but its power of persuasion is very strong. It is my uh, I, if you, in my it's a theory I have, I have no way of actually testing it, but in my view, if you if you put somebody who's uh, absolute zero in terms of faith or knowledge or whatever, and you disclose, for example, <clears throat> just offer Christianity and offer Islam at the same time to this person, uh, I can safely bet with you that he will choose Islam over Christianity at any given day, and that explains the massive growth of Islam in uh, Christian countries and in people who are converting to a religion as opposed to uh, getting out of a religion. And that's uh, disappointing, but that's just a fact. And um, I kind of lost my train of thought. And that's why that you see that so much uh, Islam is getting uh, numbers. It's getting uh, huge uh, but I am optimistic. I am optimistic because I think that uh, some since the past two, three hundred years, uh, the Western countries have uh, developed this uh, idea of secularism that the governments are supposed to be separate from the religion that people practice, and that some liberal views have been kind of so much well established that even in Islamic countries, they try to. Uh, Glossed them as if, well, Muhammad was a liberal too from the beginning. Look, look at this example and this example, and this proves that Muhammad too believed in freedom of speech. Well, good luck with that. Uh, but uh, it's kind of the acceptance of the norms that are coming from the West uh, in uh, in Islamic countries, in particular Iran, uh, since uh, the current Ayatollah came to power in 1989. Uh, the theme of cultural warfare and be, be, uh, Iran being constantly at war with other countries on the planet culturally uh, is something that is constantly being mentioned over and over and over again. And it's because um, uh, the kids that are basically born, being born and grow, uh, growing up, there are 6 million Iranians who live outside of Iran. <clears throat> there is a it's a country with uh, 70 70 million population and all of these six these six million to have families in Iran they have lots of contact it's a very open society 
As a result, a lot of those um, values, those principles that existed in 1960s, 70s, and 80s, they simply don't exist anymore, and or they have changed dramatically. And I am thinking that this is going to be happening uh, gradually in um, a lot of other uh, Islamic countries, and that makes me very optimistic. Uh, we are going to be dealing with a 1% uh, crazy, much smaller than 1% craziness in all countries, including Canada. And uh, it's just, as I said at the start of my uh, comments, that it's something that we just have to deal with as uh, something that may happen, but we have to do our best to make sure that it doesn't, uh, through our government, through our uh, uh, intelligence forces, security forces, and all of that. But this is something that is going to be with us for decades. I am very optimistic that it will change in Islamic countries and uh, in our countries as well, uh, gradually. Akbar, what do you think? Positive about the future? Uh, I'd like to be, but not on the short term, but... Uh, I'm optimistic on the long term, but on the short term, I think it's going to be a little bit harsh. And everybody, uh, I, I believe that uh, the uh, these type of incidents will force, um, like for example, let me um, refer to the uh, to the speech that uh, one of Al Qaeda leaders has just uh, given on YouTube a couple of days ago. He um, he uh, he praised the 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 act. Uh, he said that. Uh, these people, they needed somebody to teach them how to respect us, and they did. And he, he's he's totally full. He's getting it wrong. He he does not realizing that what happened next is that every other newspaper is gonna draw, is gonna uh, publish these uh, cartoons. So he he didn't do anything. He actually, for, for, in his point of view, he made it worse. They have to learn that they cannot stop uh, people from. Uh, they cannot prevent freedom of speech. They cannot prevent. They, they can, they cannot prevent progress, and they will have to learn to deal with it, whether they like it or not. Yeah, for me personally, I don't like the the cartoons of of Charlie Hebdo, but that doesn't mean I'm going to have to go and kill them. I have to just simply don't buy it, and and that's and that, that that's the lesson they have to learn. They they cannot control the world. They cannot control where the world's going. They cannot control everybody else's uh, rights and 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 freedom. Uh, and they're going to have to learn that the hard way. And I'm, what I'm hoping for is that this will cause Muslims around worldwide to rethink of their uh, of their beliefs, to rethink of what have whatever they have inherited, uh, rethink of what they see as right or wrong. And and some because some people would would have these values in their minds until they see it actually being practiced, then they actually see how bad it is. Uh, actually, this was my. Uh, this is this was my wake up call when I moved from Egypt to Saudi Arabia and I saw how this uh, the Saudi community uh, how their life is how hypocrisy is uh, has gone through every aspect of their life. Then I realized that this system this uh, cannot cannot govern a, a healthy society. It's going to create a sick society. And so sometimes when you see your 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 thought values. Uh, happening in front of you, this is when you kind of realize that oh my god, this that's not good at all. That's actually that's bad. 
and and you start rethinking what you have believed. So I think I, I hope this is what's going to happen in the Muslim world. I I hope so. I'm not sure if that's going to be. I don't think that's going to be an easy task. As uh, as Jim said, everybody who tries to be, tries to uh, or tries to. Um, uh, criticize what is considered to be sacred. He gets uh, murdered or killed or, or or ruled as blasphemer or whatever. But uh, with time, uh, these people, the number of these people increase. So it's getting harder and harder to uh, to neglect what they're saying. It's getting harder and harder to uh, isolate them from society. They are spreading these. The world is becoming an, uh, a smaller place uh, every day. The communication is, is is making everything. Uh, uh, it's very hard to control thoughts anymore. It's not like it used to be. So I hope this is what's gonna uh, bring the reformation or the, uh, the revolution uh, closer in time. But I don't think it's gonna be very very near. I hope it's. Uh, I hope I'm gonna see it in my lifetime. Gentlemen, I want to thank you both for coming here today on the show. I really appreciate your time. Uh, we have uh, much to discuss, and uh, I sure hope you've uh, informed a lot of our listeners. Uh, thank you both for being so eloquent and being so nice with us. Thank you very much. Jim, thank you so much. Well, thank have you. a good evening. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was it. That was that was our, our two guys there. What do you guys think? Yeah. That was very enlightening. Yeah. And I'm sure our governments know that very well, but I'm not sure citizens necessarily do know that. And until we are willing to, you know, divest ourselves of aiding and abetting these these nations inadvertently or indirectly or maybe directly in some cases, we need to, to stop that in order to stop this, these kind of attacks from happening. I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot of um, difference between... There are some attacks that are provoked because of political, social, economical pressures. I can totally understand that. And there are some other attacks or that are simply religiously based. What happened at Charlie Hebdo, I think, was simply religiously based. It was not a social, economical pressure from the uh, to take some kind of retaliation against a French government to attack that that paper. And I think that's a clear distinction that we need to make in a situation like this. Thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yes? No? Maybe? You guys are way too quiet down there. You need to put an instrument for you to hear something, right? <laughs> Go for it, Vern. It's a lot of information. It is. It is. It's a lot of very good information. Mm-hmm. I think what we uh, have here with the uh, United States um, sending their drones in, supposedly trying to defend themselves against terrorists, they're just creating more and more terrorists. Uh, mm-hmm. And their uh, their thoughts are, are just as evil as the terrorists coming back at us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what's even more surprising about all this is, although uh, I think we made the point that a lot of Muslims reacted negatively to these attacks, um, including our friend here, Ahmed and Jim, and their entourage and all that, um, some people reacted positively. And of all people, well, it doesn't really surprise me in a way, it's Christians. And that was, I was surprised. I mean, I, I, I'm i looking right here at just one headline. Okay, not all Christians? No, of course, qualify. of course, of course not all Christians. But, you know, some, some loudmouth, right-wing, conservative... You know, like Brian Fisher suggesting that the Charlie Hebdo attacks was God's punishment for the for blasphemy, and the build on you who of the Catholic League as well. Um, this, I think, just goes to show how dangerous religion can become, and why I'm 
uh, this is why I kind of wanted to say, you know, um, like Jim was saying, with the advent of secular thinking, secular government, uh, I think it is the solution. Uh, education for these people, uh, our, our uh, secular governments, is really the the answer to this terrorist threat. Education uh, is. Oh, absolutely. However, many uh, Christian, devout Christians, having being raised in a Christian atmosphere growing up, um, most Christians just simply turn around and shut it out and put up a wall and they simply say, well, nope, this is the way it is. This is what we believe. And they refuse to listen and accept uh, a, a different thought to what they were brought up to believe. I think um, we said about the secular uh, state, uh, you know, it's just the separation of church and state. If you could affect that in every nation on earth, you, that's like that would be enormous. Um, because once you have those, regardless, even if you have all your religions and you have your religious creeds, if those people still have to live under a secular state in which uh killing, you know, someone because mm-hmm. of free speech, that's illegal and you're going to go mm-hmm. to jail for it and those laws will be upheld, then you've you've sort of stopped the problem right there. Mm-hmm. That that you can you can't force people to believe or not believe things, but the fact that they will be persecuted under secular law is really I think oh, the only thing you need to start with and and eventually ideas will change and evolve. Um I've already mentioned early on in the chat there with the, our friends Ahmed and Jim. Um, I thought this was a cornerstone event. I thought this was a you know because they they attack free speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you attack an uh, economic center, you know you can justify a military target. You get free speech. It's a bit like it's becoming visceral here. I think for a lot of people. Do you guys think this is one of those moments in time? Am I right here? Or am I just like mm-hmm. out of my gourd? No, no, that because it's kind of like being told uh, when you think something, it's being told that you thought wrong. Nobody has a right to tell you how to think. Nobody has a right to tell tell you, as it is stated in the law, how to speak. You know, that's what free speech is. And mm. for them to attack that and say, no, you may not, is kind of like saying... You can't think like that. Well, you did. Oops. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's been very visceral because when you think, uh, we're doing a show here tonight about the attack in Paris where 12 people died, but mm. pretty much at the same time, Boko Haram killed apparently 2,000 people, and that's getting very low press. Uh, it's, a, it's a horrific event, mm. right, in every way, shape, or form, but yet the attacking of free speech seemed to have <laughs> draw more ink. Feathers. Yes, ruffle more feathers. You know, uh, well, it's also it's in a Western nation, right? It's in Paris. It's the center of the free world. But it was point. interesting that uh, Jim was mentioning the fatwa against um, Salman Rushdie. I I grew up in a small northern town. I had no idea who Salman Rushdie was, but I and I was about eight years old. But I remember that distinctly because it was on the news everywhere because he had published a novel and they didn't like it and he had a death sentence over him. 
that made huge news. I remember it clearly to this day. And and this is similar. It's just that this time they succeeded. They yeah. actually did kill the people. He was actually on Bill Maher's show last Friday uh, as they came back on the ninth there. And uh, uh, he's certainly a big advocate. And uh, so was Ayanna um, Ali came out as well. And uh, I don't know if you guys know who Ayanna Ali is. Uh, she's a um, Somali-born uh, woman, and uh, mm. she speaks. Ex-Muslim. Yeah, ex-Muslim. A lot against Islam. She's written a fantastic book. Call Infidel. She's been in other books, and she speaks all over the world today. And she's under constant bodyguard protection because of that. Mm-hmm. Well, her story was essentially she was doing a film with Theo Van Gogh, which was called The Innocence of Muslim, I believe, or The Innocence of Islam. And they killed Theo Van Gogh, the director, and they basically stabbed him in the chest with a, with a dagger with a note saying, "You're next." You know. And yeah, and he's another in the chain of of attacks against free speech. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, maybe. I'm not sure why this has gotten so much more. I mean, that was in the Netherlands. These things, and the Danish uh, illustrator was killed. But, but this is the one that gets all the attention. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's just because it's one more in the series and people are getting fed up. Yeah. I, I think... but, yeah, it's almost kind of like things are building, building, building. You know, just another one. Tick, tick, tick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all, all, all in all, I think, uh, I'm being positive here. I think we've turned a corner here. Uh, I think... Uh, even the, the Muslim populations are saying, you know, this is... However, I will go back... No, I'm staying positive. You know, I'm not going <laughs> negative on me. I'm, just I'm not going negative. Uh, <laughs> it's a reality thing. Uh, again, going back to my own past, I was raised in a Christian environment, and I was raised with the Bible, and according to the Bible, the Bible prophesies Prophesizes. Oh God! <laughs> Bible prophecy. No, it it does say that uh, basically Jews and Gentiles, is, Islams and uh, Muslims, they will fight. They will be at war, and it was said uh, in the Bible then, and they have been at war since then, and they said it always will be. So, oh, that's should a we prophecy. take that? Should we take that saying, "Oh well, it's gonna happen"? No, well, that's a prophecy the Bazooka Joe comics could have made too, right? I mean, <laughs> could make a prophecy about Christianity fighting as well. But that's a whole new episode. We'll do an episode on Bible prophecies and Bazooka Joe. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I think I think Robin is making a good point here, though, in saying that whether you're Christian, Muslim. Catholic, Jew, whatever religion you are, until we evolve out of this thinking of religion as part of our life, mm-hmm. part of the way we think, we always will be at war. Mm-hmm. I don't think it'll ever end. And I, like I said earlier, we have to evolve out of this. We and need to let go of these vices that are seemingly around us. Yeah, I, I agree, and Jim said the same thing. I'd, I'd love to think it would, this is a turning point, but I, I'm very skeptical. It may be a turning point, but I think we may have just turned around a corner. That's a perfect way to end the show. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on Thank the show. Thank you for coming. Okay, conversation you. continues. You guys can follow us on Facebook. Uh, you can uh, send us a message, send us some love mail, some hate mail. That's at the valley at com. And uh, the next show, we're going to be listening to Wanda Morris from Die With Dignity. Make sure to tune in on that. And until next time, thank you guys so much for being here.